Well, welcome to church today. If you are a visitor with us, we especially want to say uh, welcome to you, and we're so glad that you have taken some time to spend with us this morning. Uh, if we haven't already mentioned, there is a card in the pew in front of you, and if you fill out that card, we'll uh, pass a collection tray later on in the service. You can drop that card in there. We would love to get to know you because uh, we are a community of faith, and that is what we're talking about today. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Ten Words, and we've been using word studies in the New Testament and one in the old uh, to talk about what it means to follow Christ and especially how we can love our neighbor as ourself. And so today we are continuing that series. We are in week nine uh, uh, out of ten. Uh, hopefully that was obvious with the ten words. Uh, week nine out of ten and actually this week and next are going to be some of my favorite weeks of this sermon series. And so I hope that you will really look forward uh, to this week and John Mark is going to close us off next week with a fantastic word uh, and I'll let him tell you what that is next week. I won't preview it at all for you other than to tell you it's going to be great. And so we've been in the midst of this series, and today we are talking about community. Uh, the word that we're using today is koinonia, and it simply means community, but it does have a lot of meanings, a lot of different ways that it's used in the New Testament. So hopefully on the screen behind me, you can see a couple of those listed. It also means to have a close association with, to share life together, to have a close connection where you focus on sacred things. And so certainly we are doing that today. It means to fellowship, to have partnership to participate in a radical sharing of who you are with another person. So it's a great word. It's a fantastic word that we find in the pages of our New Testament. But before we talk about community, before we talk about koinonia, I want to talk about a different word this morning. The word is shame. How many of you came to church today thinking, I would love to hear a message on shame? <laughs> Probably not many. Oh, oh Seth, uh, thank you for your honesty. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about shame for just a few minutes, and I promise it will lead into our topic of koinonia. So don't worry, I'm not going to leave us uh, in, in the dumps with shame. But uh, I think we need to talk about this in order for us to understand this idea of koinonia. So the very first thing that I want to say about shame is I think that when we look at shame in the New Testament, we're talking about something different than what we're talking about when we hear the word shame today. So let me give you an example of that. Brene Brown is a, a wonderful professor down at the University of Houston, done a lot of work on this topic of shame, and she talks about what shame is like in our culture specifically, and this is what she says. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience, it, experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something that we've done, experienced, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. That's pretty heavy, right? This idea of shame that she presents to us. But what I want to say uh, to us this morning is that this is not the message that Jesus comes to give to us, a message of shame. In fact, when we talk about shame in the New Testament, I think we're talking about something quite different. And so if this is you today, if you feel this way often, hear these words. The gospel of Jesus provides hope to each and every one of us, because this is not what Jesus has come to deliver to us, this idea of shame and worthlessness and valuelessness. Instead, Christ has come to offer us something different, and I think something better than that. So when we talk about shame in the, uh, in, in the scriptures, in the Bible, what are we talking about? What, what are we thinking of when we talk about shame? Here's, here's my best guess, my best way of describing this, my best uh, understanding that I can share with you today. Shame in the New Testament is used as a corrective tool to help communities to prosper. So in our culture, shame is this feeling that you get when uh, you feel valuelessness, worthlessness. But in the New Testament, I think shame is not this feeling of valuelessness, 
Instead, it's this way that the community uses to bring you back into line, to bring you into a way that you will flourish and prosper, that the community together can continue to grow and continue to be together. Let me give you two examples so that we can try to figure out whether this is true in the New Testament or not. So the first example is from Paul. Uh, Paul is one of the writers of the New Testament. He wrote the majority of books in the New Testament, and he's constantly writing letters to churches that he has planted all over the world. And so these churches usually get themselves into a spot of trouble. Uh, They've got some things going on within their their ranks. Doesn't sound familiar to any of us, does it? Uh, But Paul writes these letters to the churches to try to help them, to try to show them what they need to do and how they can live together. And so when Paul writes one of these letters, he writes a letter to the Galatian churches. And in this letter to the Galatians, Paul is having uh, to, to do some work to defend his message of the gospel. Uh, And what's happened is some people have come into these Galatian churches and have tried to tell the people in those churches, what Paul preached to you is wrong, and you need to change. You need to think this way instead of the way that Paul taught you. So here's what Paul's up against. He's up against this idea of honor and shame. So when these people come into the Galatian church and they say, what Paul preached to you is wrong, they're not trying to make Paul feel worthless. They're trying to say that the message that he preached is one that is shameful and that we need to change and to get back into line with the true message. So now Paul, when he writes this letter to the Galatians, he has a little bit of a job to do because he's got to make the case for why what he has preached to them is not shameful, but in fact is honorable and is something that they should continue to listen to. And so in this letter, Paul makes the case for why the gospel of Jesus is true, why it's honorable, why it is something that they should continue to follow the path of. Basically, he uses this idea of honor and shame as a way of correcting the community, uh, of bringing them back into flourishing and into the, the right path that the gospel of Jesus makes clear to us. Okay, so that's one example. Another example comes from the life of Jesus himself. Jesus, uh, he spent time with all the wrong people. Did you, get, you guys notice that when you read the gospels? It's very noticeable. He's constantly spending time with the people that we would not want to spend time with. The people that we think uh, we, need to, we need to not focus on those guys, we need to focus on the people who have a chance. But Jesus is going to the people who, who seemingly have no chance, and he's spending his time with them, uh, quote-unquote sinners. That's who Jesus spends his time with. And so when Jesus does this, it's noticeable, and the religious leaders, the people like me, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you've got this all, all wrong. You've got it all messed up. We need to get you back in line. And so they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to stop spending your time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. Instead, you need to do the right things. You need to follow the Sabbath. You need to follow the law. You need to do the things that are good. And so in this moment, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they are uh, presenting to him a way to get back in line with what the community has determined is the right path. But in a brilliant move, Jesus flips this story on its head. And instead of the Pharisees having the honorable path and Jesus having the shameful path, now all of a sudden Jesus has the honorable path and they have the shameful path. And now they need to be brought back into what Jesus has said. This is what he says in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call the righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. So what we see in the New Testament here is we've got a couple of different examples of people who are trying to correct someone. They're trying to correct a community of believers. They're trying to correct Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus flips the script, turns it on its head, and says, let me show you the way that's truly honorable. This way is not shameful. It's not a way of feeling worthless or valueless. Instead, it is a corrective. It's a tool used in order to bring people to flourishing, bring people back into what the community has determined they need to do. So when we talk about shame, 
in the New Testament. What we need to see is that when people are using this, this idea of shame, they're trying to bring people back into what the community has determined is good for the people. And that's really important, I think, because when we talk about community, what we're talking about is a place to belong. We're talking about a place, a people that we can belong to. And if we're outside of what the community has determined is good or right or helps us to flourish and prosper, then we aren't going to experience true community. And so when we talk about community, this word koinonia in the New Testament, it's really important for us to understand that ultimately what we're talking about is a place to belong, a sense of belonging, a sense of, of identifying with the people that we are in the midst of, of having similar uh, uh, expectations of one another, of having a similar life together. Uh, those words that I, I showed you at the beginning of sharing life, of sharing who you are with someone else. In order for us to do this, we have to have some uh, expectations of one another, some ways that we can interact together along the way. So what I'd like to do now is to start thinking about this word koinonia. This word koinonia, in light of this context of shame, uh, this corrective tool that helps us to understand who we're meant to be, that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to correct us, to bring us back into right relationship with God. And so when we talk about koinonia, these are the kinds of things that God is helping us to see is what we need to do, the kinds of people that we need to be in order to be a true community, a true koinonia. So, I want to present to you a couple of different passages that come out of the New Testament and a couple of different ideas that uh, will help us to understand what this word koinonia means. So, the first passage that I'm going to read for, you, for us today it comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. I've got the words on the screen behind me. Uh, this is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, Jesus has just begun his Sermon on the Mount. These are some of the first things that Jesus said uh, in probably his most famous sermon that he ever preached, at least the most famous one that we have written down still uh, with us. So, this is Matthew, chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Jesus says, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they're full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Okay, so Jesus opens his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with these words, and he pronounces blessing, happiness on the people who we least expect to experience happiness. It's the people who are distressed, the people who have nothing, the people who have been taken from, and Jesus says, these are the people that I am focusing on. These are the people who are blessed in the community of God, in the kingdom of God. And so when we talk about koinonia, it's important for us to have the attitude that Jesus had, that when we talk about community, it's the people who are in most need of experiencing it that we should be seeking out, that we should be welcoming, that we should be inviting to experience this community that Jesus has to offer because Jesus is trying to give us a new kind of community. He's trying to give us a new kind of opportunity to exist and to live in the world. And into that, he invites the distressed, the outcast, and the lowly. And so when we talk about community, it's important for us to have the same mind of Jesus, to have the same expectations as Jesus, and to have the same goals that Jesus had. 
that community is for the people who most need it. Jesus continues on in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he gets into chapter 6. He gets into talking about uh, not worrying about tomorrow. It's a really difficult passage because how many of us experience stress or anxiety or, or simply worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? Probably most of us. But Jesus encourages us not to worry. Instead, he encourages us to do something different, something that will help us to understand what this new community that Jesus is inviting us into is like. So hear these words out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. He says, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He gets into this passage talking about uh, worrying about the needs that we have, you know, food, clothing, shelter, and he says, don't worry about those things. Instead, trust in God. And what's amazing about what Jesus says here is that the early church, they believed him. They believed him in a radical way. They trusted what Jesus said there. And so in, in a very important passage, a wonderful, beautiful passage out of the, uh, the book of Acts, uh, this is our passage where our word koinonia shows up in today. This is in Acts chapter 2. If you uh, want to turn over there, uh, you can. Uh, if you need to look in the Pew Bible there in front of you as well, it's in page 1694. But the early church believed Jesus when he said this. They, they, they really did. They believed him, and they put it into practice. And so in Acts chapter 2, in this uh, uh, beautiful passage, the followers of Jesus, shortly after he ascends to heaven, experience this together. And, and they live this way, this way of trusting God and taking care of one another's needs. And so listen to these words from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, that's our word, koinonia, to the shared meals, and to their prayers. And a sense of awe came over everyone because God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and they shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. And they praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. So the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. It's this beautiful, short little passage that comes out of the book of Acts. And in this passage, we see that the believers, they, they trust Jesus. When he says, don't worry about tomorrow, instead, trust in God. And they lift each other up, this community, this koinonia. They share their things. They share their possessions. They make sure that anybody who has a need is taken care of. And so what do we learn about our community, about what it means to be a community in, in today's world, to be a, a follower of Jesus, a part of this community? The first is that Jesus says that we need to seek out the people who are distressed, the outcasts, the people who are lonely, the people who are most in need of community. And once we do that, we need to take care of each other, trusting that God is doing the work among us to help care for us, to help care for our needs, that God is not somebody who's hoarding his resources, but God is somebody who, through us, is sharing all that we need in this world. It's this beautiful passage that comes out of the book of Acts, something that's really incredibly difficult to live up to, I think, but something that we would do well to aspire to. One more thing that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning, one more way that we can participate in this koinonia, this radical community that Jesus is offering to us, that he's inviting us into, comes out of, uh, again, the book of Matthew. Uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus uh, tells this story. And he tells this story to the people because they need to hear these words. And they're difficult words. But Jesus knows that they need to hear them. And so when we talk about koinonia, it's amazing because it's available to each and every one of us. God's koinonia is available to everyone 
And not just someday, but right now. Hear these words from Jesus out of the Gospel uh, of Matthew, starting in verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. It's a beautiful passage that Jesus shares with us. It's a difficult passage. He goes on from there to say that those who don't do this will miss out on the kingdom of heaven. That those who who ignore the sick, who ignore the hungry, who ignore those who are naked and and in need, they'll miss out on the kingdom of heaven. It's a very difficult passage, but one that's really important because Jesus knows something that's easy for us to forget. That when we talk about koinonia, community, when we talk about what it means to be the community of God, We're talking about something that can and does happen right now, today. This is not just something that we hope for someday to happen, but Jesus invites us into this kind of koinonia today. And I love studying the life of Jesus, reading the life of Jesus, because Jesus not only preached this, but he lived it. And so when he encounters the woman at the well, the woman who's been ostracized and outcast by her community, who has nothing, Jesus comes to her and shares with her living water. He sees her in her moment of need, and he goes to her, and he spends time with her. Even when the disciples say, Jesus, don't you know that this is a Samaritan woman? And Jesus does it anyways. And when there's a a man who's been crippled and paralyzed for the majority of his life for 38 years, and he's been waiting beside the pool of Bethsaida to be healed, he's been waiting there for 38 years, people walking by him, ignoring him, Jesus stops and takes the time to spend with this man and to heal him, to see his need, because Jesus knows that koinonia is something that matters today, right now. And so Jesus invites the man by the pool to be a part of this new community. And when Jesus is on his way to a very important person's house, uh, Jairus, a synagogue leader, uh, he's going to this house and he's going to heal this man's daughter. Jesus stops because he senses a woman who's in need, who for 12 years has been bleeding and has been mistreated by doctors. And for 12 years, she's been kept out of community. And Jesus, even though he's got a really important appointment to get to, even though he's in the midst, he's on the journey, he's on the way, he stops. He spends time with her. He heals her. Because he knows that it's so important for this woman in that moment right then to experience community. It's not good enough to just say someday it'll be there. She needs it right then and there. And even when Jesus's followers turns, turn their backs on him, when Peter denies him three times and he's asked over and over again, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, no way. I'm not with that guy. After he's resurrected, Jesus comes back to Peter and three times says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. 
Jesus restores him and reinstates him because in that moment, Peter had cut himself off from community with Jesus. And Jesus finds a way to bring him back. Over and over again, Jesus finds ways to encourage us and to show us what this community is all about. It's this new kind of community, this new way of living and operating in the world, this way that is uh, open to all, this way that Jesus is especially looking for the people who are most in need of it. It's a community that takes care of one another and that trusts that God is in our midst providing for us even as we have need. And it's a community that's available right now, today, to each of us. This community that Jesus invites us into, it's a community that we probably wouldn't expect. It's a community that we probably wouldn't make on our own. It's a community for people who are broken, people who are outcasts, people who are sinners, who very, very rarely look like saints. But Jesus invites them all, and thank goodness that he does. Because if we're honest, it's a community that we all need, because we are those broken people those sinful people that struggle to look like saints. And Jesus invites us. Now our task as the church of God is to invite those who are most in need because God is providing for each of us. It's the message of the gospel, that what Jesus is extending to us is life when we most need it. So may we take that message of the gospel and share it with those around us. Today, if you are in need of prayer, our elders are going to gather around the sides of the room with their spouses, and they would love to spend some time in prayer with you. If you want to join this community, be a part of this radical sharing of life together, I'd love to talk with you about baptism down front. Would you please come while we stand together and worship?